are entering the Freedom Hut. Attorney General Barr stares down the lib media and explains the facts of life when it comes to the Mueller report and the deep state coup against President Trump. Also, the Trump administration is saying there should be some tariffs coming against Mexico unless Mexico plays ball on immigration with us. And finally, the creator of Chernobyl takes the wrong view of his own creation. We'll get into that and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I think Bob said that he was not going to engage in the analysis. He was he was not going to make a determination one way or the other. We analyzed the law and the facts, and uh, a group of us uh, spent a lot of time doing that and determined that both as a matter of law, many of the instances would not amount to obstruction. As a matter of law. Uh, as a matter of law. In other words, we didn't agree with the legal analysis uh, a lot of the legal analysis and the report, it did not reflect the views of the department. It was the views of a particular lawyer or lawyers. Uh, and uh, so we applied uh, what we thought was the right law. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Attorney General Barr throwing down with the libs, with Mueller, the partisan hack, and all the rest of them. Oh, that's right. It was so obvious there was obstruction that they can't even decide which count of obstruction was the most obvious. It was so clear that Trump broke the law in the cover-up of an investigation that he that he did not cover up and at any point could have ended <laughs> and did not. But it's so obvious that Mueller wouldn't even say that it happened. This is a bizarre world we are living in now, my friends, where Libs completely conjure some alternate reality where up is down and down is up where no collusion no obstruction is well no obstruction is really there was absolutely obstruction but they just wouldn't say there's obstruction because they couldn't prosecute if there had been obstruction and the prosecutor wouldn't say there was obstruction because he couldn't prosecute it well but he could have said there was obstruction so that's not true so that doesn't hold up and why did Mueller hold this press conference? It's almost like he, let, let's let's look at this. The report was released. People were going to read through it. They let that breathe, they let that breathe in the news cycle for, you know, a couple of weeks. It's all I was talking about the Mueller report. Let's just war game this out from for, for a moment. If you were Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, really Pelosi cuz this is more of a house side issue, but the Senate is involved in some way as well. It's the Democratic Party. If you were the DNC and you were trying to work with Mueller, to kick off an impeachment proceeding after the report has been released. What better thing could you have than Mueller having a press conference where he is essentially imploring Congress to take this up as an impeachment matter? Could you have coordinated this any more effectively? Could you have come up with a better plan? I think the answer is no. So are we really to believe that it is then a coincidence that that's not what was driving Mueller here. That just kind of happened. Why did he think he had to hold that press conference in the first place? We didn't misunderstand anything. He didn't tell us anything new. 
He just wanted to, you know, make sure that he gave one last little parting shot at the president before he did his mic drop. I'm out of the DOJ and I'm not answering any more questions. Right. This was this was lighting a match, putting it up to the, you know, the the window drapes right as you walk out and say, well, I didn't do anything. I just, you know, if the house burns down, it's not my fault. You know, this is what he did. So it's so clear. But people know that. They can't, they, they can't allow that to, to settle as the narrative because what it tells us is what we've, we, should know, we should have known all along, and now we know beyond a reasonable doubt, Mueller's an anti-Trump hack. He's a partisan, just like Comey. Remember, they used to tell us that Comey was above reproach, that Comey was the last honest man in D.C., that Comey was to be absolutely trusted when he exonerated Hillary, or not exonerated, but bailed out Hillary Clinton on the email thing. Oh, he's been FBI director and he's been this and that and he's so great. Now we know Comey is a self-loving, self-involved hack. A sanctimonious, super tall twerp whose only real loyalty is to himself, his ego, and his perception of his role in this Praetorian Guard, FBI, DOJ, deep state that he was the, the, the ringleader of in many ways. That's all he really cared about. But they used to tell us, remember, that Comey had no politics and everything. Same thing with Mueller. Mueller and Comey are cut from the same cloth. These, these might as well be the same guy. They are part of this cast that thinks they're above elected officials. They're the ones that keep the country going. They're the ones that hold up this republic. They're the ones that are providing the framework that all the rest of us live in. A very grandiose sense of their, of their own roles and importance in American society. But remember, how people feel about themselves determines what they think about everything else around them. Barr knows. He's not trying to pick a, a big public fight, but he knows what Mueller did was meant to uh, be a last, a last attempt at ambushing the president and handing off impeachment to the Congress, which is not his job. That was never his job. This was not supposed to be oppo research for Democrat impeachment purposes, but that's what it very quickly turned into. And then you also have what really went on here. And when is this going to get aired out? When can we approach this part of, this critical part of the story? There's no way that they opened an investigation on Papadopoulos based on the meetings in July of 2016. There's no way. How did, they, how did a human asset get near him in the first place? How did he come up on the radar? The first Russia interference in the election, you know, warning flags in the, in the intel community went up apparently in April of 2016. So you're telling me it's July when Papadopoulos, that's when they, no way, no way. They're hiding stuff from us. Barr knows it. And he's going to find out what it is. Play 13. What have you seen? What evidence? What makes you think I need to take a look at this? Like many other people who are familiar with intelligence activities, I had a lot of questions about what was going on. And I assumed I'd, I'd get answers when I went in and I have not gotten answers that are all satisfactory and, and in fact have probably more questions and that some of the facts uh, that, that I've learned uh, don't hang together with the official explanations of what happened. What do you mean by that? That's that's all I really will say. Things are just not jiving. Things are not jiving. You know what the attorney general's saying? They're lying. He doesn't want to use that word. A little inflammatory for right now. The official narrative of Russia collusion 
peddled by the deep state FBI DOJ under the Obama administration is a lie. Barr knows it's a lie. He's going to expose it as a lie. And the wrath of of liberals across the country is going to come upon his head. But you know what the good news is? He's prepared for it, folks. This guy's a bulldog. He's a fighter. I like him. We got more on this in a moment. Well, in a way, I did expect it. Because, yeah, because I realized we live in a, a crazy, hyper-partisan period of time. And I knew that it would only be a matter of time if, if I was behaving responsibly and calling him as I see him, that I'd be attacked. Because nowadays, people don't care about the merits or the substance. That's one of the reasons that I ultimately was persuaded that maybe I should take it on. Because I think at my stage in life, it really doesn't make any difference. You're at the end of your career? Or? I'm at the end of my career. I've, you know, I, Does it, but the, I mean, it's a reputation that you've worked your whole life on, though. Yeah, but everyone dies, and I'm not, you know, I don't believe in the Homeric idea that, you know, immortality comes by, you know, having odes sung about you over the centuries, you know. I got to say, I love this guy, Attorney General Barr. He's a boss. This guy's the real deal. This guy's a patriot. He's a brilliant legal mind, and he really cares about doing what's right. And that's one of the reasons I get so annoyed, so aggravated with the attacks on his character. But it's it's reassuring because they're just they're not they're not attacks that are made in good faith at all. They're they're just uh character assassination efforts. For political reasons, he's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing except be ethical, be transparent, be fair minded, and I'm just happy to hear his attitude is like, ride or die, son. He's like, let's do this. I see what's going on. They're not going to intimidate me. They're not going to push me around. He's like, I'm at the end of my life. This thing about how everyone dies, that's what you, you know, these days, this is really the attitude you have to have if you're going to be fighting for conservative values and ideals. You got to just say, you know, win or lose, this is what I got to do. That's how I feel increasingly in the media. It's one of the reasons why I'm leaving the Hill. Win or lose, I got to throw down. I've got to fight for what I believe in and do what I think is right and say what I think needs to be said and come what may. And there's going to be some rocky, rocky stuff ahead for me. I know that there already has been rocky stuff for people who hate me, you know, try to come after me and everything. But this is, this is why it's a fight. This is why we are ideological warriors. And Bill Barr isn't even really an ideological warrior. He's somebody who is fighting for what is just. He's fighting for the rule of law. He's fighting for the truth. And they hate him for it. They absolutely hate him for it. They would so much rather have someone who is is malleable, someone who can be uh, who can be persuaded that, you know, the Democrats will be their friend if only they turn on their former allies. This is. Democrats will cajole, will will pressure, induce, solicit. They'll just, whatever they have to do to get someone to abandon who they are as part of the Democrats' lust for control and power. And Barr is a threat to all of that. But you, you see here, he is the perfect man at this time for this job. He has the intellect for it. And as importantly, he has the temperament for it. I mean, I can't imagine being this guy and seeing all these. You know, I was on TV last night at Fox and Shannon Bream show. And, you know, it's some guy who's a former Obama DOJ. And it's just the stuff he's saying. It's just 
It was just laughable that they've been so fair to Trump, that they've been too fair to Trump. Too fair to Trump? They had put him through a two-year special counsel investigation based on a lie. Too fair to him? They're th- throwing people in prison. They sent 30 guys with, uh, with M4s to go pull Roger Stone out of his bed because he like you know lied about nothing. And they're too, they're too fair to the Trump people? The Democrats that broke the same laws, people like Tony Podesta and others about failure to register as an agent, they don't get prosecuted. Too fair? I mean, how do these people look at themselves and not laugh? But Barr doesn't get to say what I say. He has to maintain a certain dispassionate, reason-based method of, of talking about and talking to these, uh, talking about these issues and talking to these people. And I'm sure he just wants to be like, you know, I'm a lot smarter than you, right? And you know that you're kind of a moron and you're Trump deranged and everything that you're saying here, Pelosi or Schiff or Nadler is the rantings of a lunatic. You know that, right? I mean, that that's kind of what I wish he could say. And I know that he thinks that deep down. But man, they they are going after him with everything they have. After Trump, he is the, I would argue to you that after Trump, Barr has become, in a very short period of time, the most hated figure by the left in American politics. And it's it, we can judge him by his enemies. This guy is doing heroic work. He is standing up to the mob. And he's not yelling. He's not making a scene of it. He's just like, bring it. Um, I'm Bill Barr, bring it. That's all he's saying. He's just saying, you know, this is this is it. I know what's going on here. I know the games that were played. He can't prove it all yet, but he sees this. He sees what happened. You know, when he when he puts out quotes like uh, where he's talking about the Praetorian uh, the Praetorian Guard media, I'm sorry, Praetorian Guard deep state that thinks that it's above the laws that rattles the left. That concerns them because that's the truth. If it were if it were ridiculous, they wouldn't care. But he knows that there was this caste, this, this self-appointed elite under the Obama administration in the federal government that, that thought that Trump was a clear and present danger to the United States. And so they abused their power and in some cases did break the law in order to try to take him down. That's it. And Barr's going to get to the bottom of this. But, you know, the attacks on his reputation, thankfully, he's like a guy who, it's like the end of a Shakespearean play, and he's going to just set some things right before he sails off into the sunset, so to speak. He's like, look, I'm, I'm not going to sit back on this one. I mean, I'm, I think he's done such a good job. And, and I also, I really appreciate how he refuses to back down on this this whole spying thing because he knows they they really if he caves on that they think they'll get him to cave on everything else they attack his reputation they get him to change words he knows you cannot give an inch to these crazy libs you cannot back down at all you can't say oh well let's take a moderate position because they're not looking for moderate they're just looking to win you're just you're just giving them more territory to work with that's all you're doing Here's what he said in this interview on CBS about the word spying. Play 12. You've testified that you believe spying occurred into the Trump campaign. Yes. Um, You've gotten some criticism for using that word. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess it's become a dirty word somehow. It has never been for me. I think there's nothing wrong with spying. The question is always whether it's authorized by law. Some former intelligence chiefs have said the president has made that word somewhat pejorative, uh, that they're spying, that this is a witch hunt, this is a hoax. And so your use of that word makes it seem that you're uh, being a loyalist. Uh, you know, it's part of the craziness of the modern day that if a president uses a word, then all of a sudden it becomes off bounds. It's a perfectly good English word. I'll continue to use it. He's the man. He really is. He's like, spying is spying. The fact that Trump says spying doesn't mean that that's not a word I can use anymore, okay? This, this is, he, he's not, he will not play their games. So many Republicans take that kind of Romney-esque view of like, let's just be really polite to them. Let's just give them their way a little bit. Give them, away, give them their way on this. Give them their way on that. And, and maybe we can all be friends. Nope. They don't want to be our friends. They want to crush us. They want to destroy us. Just like they tried to crush Trump with this deep state coup. And Barr is like, I'm sorry. We're not letting this go. We're not letting this slide. You can throw all the stuff you want at me. Barr's going to keep on coming. They can't, they can't beat Barr. Just like they couldn't beat Trump. And they're, that's what they're getting worried about. And man, this Inspector General report, when it comes out, it is going to be sweet. Comey, McCabe, these people are going to get, they're going to get their comeuppance. Maybe not legally, but in terms of public repudiation, whew. Uh, I'm hoping also you see some senior Obama appointee DOJ folks, Sally Yates. Sally Yates involved in all this. There's there's some really bad folks that when when it comes to light what they did to try to take Trump down, it'll be jaw dropping. We've been talking to them for months, asking them for months to step up and take on a greater role and a greater responsibility of the number. Wednesday alone, we had over a thousand people move as one, one large group. It's the largest group we've encountered come through the Mexican country up to our border and try to cross uh, all at one time. A thousand people. The fact that they didn't break that up, they didn't try to return those individuals back to their home country is what we're asking them to do. They have the capability. It's within their law to do that. Their immigration laws allow for this, and we want to see that happen. They should be willing to help us uh, fix this problem that they can so easily do. Is it easy for them to fix it? Will they fix it? These are the questions we turn to now in the uh, in the aftermath of the announcement from the administration that uh, President Trump plans to put these tariffs on Mexican goods starting at 5% in June, and then it goes up to 10, then I think 15, 20, 25. It's going to be these escalating tariffs until Mexico is more helpful in dealing with the immigration crisis that we currently have at the border. Let me just say, and I, I believe early in the week I, I told you, I said, we're going to come back to immigration. I mean, this is not an issue that's going away. This is not an issue that, and it's because it hasn't gotten better. It hasn't Im- improved. Uh, in fact, it's exactly where it was but a few months ago when I first started telling you there's a massive scam going on. You've got thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who are coming into the country who should not be allowed into the country, who are abusing our laws, who are uh, abusing the goodwill and good nature of the American people. And this is finally now an issue of some national attention, but the problem has not been solved. 
we have not fixed this yet. This has not been uh, addressed effectively by the administration. I'm not just blaming Trump. Judges have gotten in the way. Democrats in Congress have no interest in fixing it. There's a lo- there's a lot of of pushback against every effort that he has, and, and I think it's bad faith pushback too. You have judges on the federal court who are effectively a part of the hashtag resistance, and they use their power with these universal injunctions to stop the president from being able to do really anything at the border. So that's that's a major issue that the Department of Justice, I know, is, is thinking about trying to address more directly and, and hoping to uh, be able to to turn around. But now Trump is going with not quite the the ultimate sanction that he had discussed of shutting down the border, but across across the board tariffs on goods coming in from Mexico. And like Mexico is our is our largest trading partner. Uh, President Trump, though, defended this move, tweeting out uh, earlier today that Mexico has taken advantage of the United States for decades because of the Democrats or immigration laws are bad. Mexico makes a fortune from the U.S. and has for decades. They can easily fix this problem. Time for them to do finally what must be done. Um, This comes at a time when there's the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement that still needs to be finalized, and that has been very important for the administration. So this throws that into some degree of doubt, although I'm sure Trump would say that there's no doubt it'll all be fine. Uh, But this is now a 5% tariff on $360 billion in goods that are imported from Mexico that's going to take effect starting June 10th. And, uh, you know, this... Is, this is a trade deal that we are going to have to get done. This is a trade deal that, or rather, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade deal is, but also what, what do we do if we get to the point that these tariffs go higher and higher? Um, the, you know, the Mexican government, I, I have to look at what their, what their laws are specifically, but I do know, for example, that Mexico, it is not illegal to be in Mexico and to try to cross into America. That's our problem. There is no Mexican law. I was told this by Border Patrol. There's no Mexican law that says leaving from Mexico to go to America is legal. Leaving from America to go into Mexico is legal. They'll defend their border, but they're not really helping us defend ours. And as a function of law, I don't know where that really leaves them. Uh, If they take in these uh, Central American migrants, thousands and thousands of Central American migrants, uh, what happens then? Does the Mexican government now have to deal with these migrants? Isn't it so interesting that, that the Democrats will tell us that all of these uh, illegal immigrants coming in from Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, that they are going to be a huge economic advantage and they're going to do all these jobs that we won't do and they're so hardworking. The Mexicans don't seem to see it that way. The Mexicans aren't like, oh, no, no, you don't take our Central American migrants, sir. We're keeping them here where they can bolster our economy. No, it's only in this country that the Democrats are telling us that's the case. In an even more sophisticated and information-based economy, we're led to believe that non-English speaking uh, migrants who in most cases will have less than a high school level education and perhaps in in many cases almost no formal education, they're going to be a great economic benefit to us. This is what Democrats say. What do we make of the fact that Mexico is not thrilled to be the new place that people fleeing Central America are going to be set up? And that's assuming Mexico goes along with this. I don't know if they will. 
Uh, they they have their own domestic political considerations. You have to remember that. But the for us right now, I mean, I I think the the bigger concern is the possibility of some economic fallout from this. Peter King, for example, economic fallout for us going to election year. I mean, look, Trump is playing high stakes poker. Let's be honest about this. Here's what Peter King says about it, though. Play 10. If the president's going to do it, I think it has to really be thought out and to see what all the uh, collateral damage is going to be, you know, the unintended consequences, because obviously it will have more of an impact on Mexico than on us. But many American businesses, and that means many American workers, could be affected by this. So, again, the president, I believe, has the power to do this. He has the right to do it. And it may be the appropriate thing to do, right? So as they do it, they really watch the consequences uh, you know, very closely. Got to watch the consequences for American workers and consumers. Uh, it's going to hit the auto industry in this in this country pretty hard uh, if, if this if this actually gets implemented. And then once those escalations kick in, there's a lot of American auto uh, makers that some of the stuff is uh, some of the plants are in Mexico, or even just some of the parts are assembled in Mexico, and then they're brought to the U.S. and and finished here. So this is this is a bigger this is a bigger deal and would be. Uh, I think, have, have more impact than even the China tariffs that we've seen so far. China gets people on edge because there's this uh, possibility of the uh, of a much broader escalation, but it started pretty small, pretty targeted. This is, Trump is threatening an across-the-board tariff on all goods. This isn't just steel, or this isn't just soybeans. This is everything. And the only way, and you, you've heard me say it, I'm going to keep saying it because... I'm very confident in the truth of this statement. If the economy is, when people go into cast their votes in 2020, if the economy is more or less what it is right now under this president, Trump wins. If we head into a a major recession, whether it's cyclical or not, whether there's one event that kicks it off or not, it does not matter. If we head into a major recession, Trump stands a very good chance of losing. Because he doesn't have to lose that many votes to, to lose to a Democrat. And it doesn't really matter who the Democrat is. And class warfare and socialism and the state stepping in to save you, that's all more popular. That's more likely to get traction, not in good times, but in bad times when people are scared. It's when you've already seen your house value plummet, you've lost your job, and you know you've lost thirty percent of your four hundred one k or something like that. That's when someone like Elizabeth Warren showing up and saying free school, free childcare, free healthcare, free. You, know, you go, you know, maybe maybe I got to listen to the, the the free lady who's a fake Cherokee. You know, maybe maybe that's the way to go. This is my fear: is that Trump is trying to follow through on these very important promises from his presidency. He's he's trying to do what he can. Uh, to actually deliver on these promises, but uh, the timing of this may mean that there's there's some unintended consequences, and if there are unintended consequences that have a real effect on the election, we got a, we got a problem, folks. We got a problem. Trump's not going to be able to get a deal with a deal with China before re-election. I'm very confident in that as well, and he really needs to have a U.S. Mexico Canada trade deal in place before his election because he's the deal maker. He's the guy that's always been saying, I, I know how to get this done. I know how to get the deals done. I'm, I'm not saying he's wrong and I'm not saying that this won't work. I'm merely pointing out that this is a this is a roll of the dice big time. And the way that this could 
um, you know, the way this could go, it could be rough for the economy. So we will have to we'll have to see. Um, I'll be right back, team. Stay with me. Cultural issues, intellectual property rights, forced technology transfers, um, the, the, essentially the respect for private property that at this point China has not reflected in their practices, and we need to see reforms in that regard. Will we see reforms? We've been asking China to reform for a long time. Here's a concern that I have as I reflect more on, on my time in China. There has long been this uh, this paradigm of, of America running on four-year, people would say even shorter, two-year, one-year election cycles, and that our politics is inherently very short-burst, short-thinking, and tactical versus strategic in its approach, whereas the Chinese, because you have this central committee that's authoritarian, that is not elected, that does not go anywhere, can take a much longer view, that they can position themselves, and I think the argument from most China experts that I know is, and they have positioned themselves, with a longer horizon for their plans, their projects, their activities, uh, whether it's economic competitiveness, uh, military growth and and uh, and capability, you know, that they're not thinking about what will this look like in two years or or four years. They're thinking, where will we be in twenty years? Where will we be in you know fifty years? That's. A, a disadvantage that we have at a strategic level. Um, there's a lot of advantages that we have because of our society versus theirs. We have much more localized improvisation and, and individual initiative. And, uh, you know, th- th- we, we have much better uh, business environment, much better rule of law, you know, there's less corruption. I mean, so there, we, ha- we do have a lot of advantages of the Chinese. I'm not just sitting here trying to say, oh, well, because if you go too far in this direction, you start to think, well, why don't we do what people like Tom Friedman were saying 10 years ago? You know, maybe China has a better model than us in many ways. They do not have a better model than us. Um, they might be better at creating rapid uh, economic growth coming from a place of, of poverty. But, we, you know, we've, we've had a much more, you know, a, a, a rise that has been in our own way every bit as, as incredible and, and meteoric. We just haven't done as, as rapidly and haven't done it by completely oppressing our own people and starving them and killing millions of them. And we we haven't had quite the same costs in place either for our economic rise the Chinese have had. But when when Mike Pence is talking about how we want to see reforms, we want to see change, this is where you you see some of the shortcomings of our approach to these other countries and the tools that we use to try to get compliance. Things like, sanctions right that's usually that's the more serious stuff but even tariffs you know a tariff is not that far off from a sanction i mean sanctions have more bite and can be uh, more punitive in nature but uh, you know a tariff isn't necessarily we're angry at you for this thing but it's we're going to take some stuff from you because we think we need to and we're hoping that china backs away from this backs away from the different behaviors the theft of intellectual property the uh you know, as I told you, walking around and seeing all the incredibly, incredibly accurate looking fake, fake Louis Vuitton bags, fake Rolexes, fake. I learned so I learned more about about fancy watches from being in China than I have from anywhere else, because there were there were stores you'd walk past and they had just right there for you. Uh, uh, Panerai and Patek Philippe and Rolex. And these are the 
the most expensive, some of the most expensive watch brands in the world, certainly the most celebrated watch brands in the world. And they're all fakes, though. But you can kind of look at them and hold them. And, I don't know, how much is this one? How much is this one? Uh, they don't care that there's been billions of dollars of marketing and research and effort and everything that goes into all these products. They're just like, well, we're going we're gonna to copy them and sell them to people and give those companies nothing. Obviously, that's a very unsavory trade practice because um, then they can also flood the market with them, and, and that's what they've been doing. Uh, but we think that they'll change because of pain that's inflicted on them. What I, the reason I was thinking about the authoritarian nature of the Chinese state is when you don't have to worry about elections, how much do you really care? If you have a monopoly on force and you sit atop a mountain of force as the Chinese Central Committee and an enormous police state, you know, you're pretty good at waiting out a a republic like ours that's going to have a change in leadership, if not every four years, at least every eight years. And that waiting game gives them a, a major advantage in any negotiation. This is one of the reasons why I think there's no chance we're going to get a deal before the election, because why would the Chinese do that? They can wait this out. We're going to slow down their economy a bit. Okay, fine. They'll say we'll slow down the economy, but we'll make up for it when the next American comes along who's they're hoping it's a Democrat, I'm sure, and goes back to the old way where the Chinese just get to cheat to get ahead. And that's what they've been doing. They've been cheating. So the the ability to withstand public pressure when you don't have any accountability to that public, no real accountability, short of revolution, short of an armed insurrection, that's a that's a difficult thing to overcome. And that's where I think the the problem in our trade dispute with China, you know, we don't have an answer to this. We don't have a, well, what do we do about that? And it, in that sense, it mirrors some of the, the sanction policies. We, you know, we sanction Iran, we sanction North Korea, we have sanctions against these countries, sanctions against Russia. It doesn't change anything. We're really, we're really not changing behavior. We're certainly not changing regimes with sanctions. So are we really able to change central economic policies of the Chinese Central Committee with tariffs? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm I'm in wait and see mode here with Trump. I, I'm open to to letting him have the leeway to to see all this through. But I'm going to judge this by the results. I'm going to judge China and the trade war there by it was a one way trade war until Trump came along. But I'm going to judge that by the results. I'm also going to judge this possible imposition of tariffs on Mexico by do they finally comply? Do we see a complete plummeting of the uh, illegal crossings at the border? Let's see. Let's see what the Trumpster can pull off. I mean, I'm I'm hopeful, but I'm, I'm not just going to trust. I'm going to verify on this. We have to be ready. It is a, it's a very uh, our founders. I always like to say this. Our founders in the darkest days of the revolution, they said the times have found us. Well, I think right now the times have found us. We have a defiance of the Constitution of the United States. And so when we go down this path, we have to be ready and it has to be clear to the American people. And we have to hope that it will be clear to uh, to the Republicans in this United States. She's talking about impeachment, folks. Remember, but, but a few weeks ago, the conventional wisdom coming out of the swamp and the mainstream media was, oh, no, Nancy, Nancy's too savvy for impeachment. They, they know that that's not. Oh, no, no, no. That was all that was all staging. 
That was preparing the battlefield to the Lib's advantage by making it seem like this is not the plan all along. This is very important. The perception here really matters because if the plan all along has been impeachment, one, that affects the the foundational rationale behind the whole Mueller probe. And as Annie McCarthy, our buddy, was on yesterday, has written in National Review today, this was always an impeachment probe. This was never really a criminal investigation of Trump. As soon as it was clear to Mueller that there was no collusion with Russia. So from then on, it was just, how do we get him on impeachment? How do we set up impeachment? But for Democrats, it it looks more uh, measured. It looks more authentic and reasonable for them to come to the decision of impeachment because of the, quote, facts they discover than to make it obvious that this was just going to be impeachment all along because that's pure politics. It is in that way somewhat similar to why, why is it that CNN clings to the fiction that it's a neutral news gathering organization, that it does not have a political agenda or bias. I mean, it's, it's a laughably flimsy perception of itself that it has, but why does CNN have that perception? Why does it keep fighting to at least make some people believe that? And that's the, that's the outward messaging, no matter how much people realize it's crap. Why? Because the, their left-wing propaganda is more effective if it is coming from a place that is at least ostensibly neutral. Because then it's just the facts. It's like the apples versus bananas. They're, they're, they're just saying apples or bananas. They're not giving you, you know, a, they're not giving you a, a rotten tomato and telling you that it's, a, it's a, an apple, which is what they do all the time. They're not, you know, falsifying things. They're not promoting either fake news or an agenda through a narrative that is, is partisan and, and is trying to pursue a certain end, not spread certain knowledge. Uh, it, it adds to the efficacy. It adds to the mission, uh, the, the effectiveness of their mission. A lot of think tanks, by the way, claim to be nonpartisan research foundations. Meanwhile, anyone who is familiar with their work can look at it and say, that's a lib think tank, full of libs, pushing lib policies. But they'll say, oh, no, no, we're a nonpartisan research foundation. Sure you are. Right? That's the, the, the Democrats in the same way are, are trying, to, uh, trying to hold themselves up as we aren't partisans who have been planning this and scheming this all along. We're just defending the Constitution we're just trying to uphold the best traditions of America, with you know whatever. I mean, this is Nancy Pelosi talking about it for heaven's sake. And she's on the Jimmy Kimmel show, by the way. Of course, speaking to Jimmy Kimmel about this, who's you know, I don't know him, and he definitely doesn't know me. And he's the kind of person who I'm sure would be like that guy. Who knows who he is? You know, he's he has a reputation of being a really mean guy, which I think is interesting for a comedian. You know who else though had a, and this I know from people who work for him. So this is not. The, the Jimmy Kimmel thing is a little more hearsay, that he's mean, like a, just a nasty person. You know who's really nasty? It was David Letterman. Not a nice guy. Well known by his staff. Not a nice guy. Um, and I didn't think a funny guy either. I, I think he's somebody who just got really lucky, right place, right time. At least Jay Leno was kind of funny sometimes. So Letterman, I, I, I never, and I was a New Yorker, I never liked Letterman. Um, and a lot of people who worked for him didn't like him, I can tell you that. Not quite as reviled as Keith Olbermann, whose staff was pretty much in open revolt about how he was. The, the, the irony of Keith Olbermann was that he had a show where he did the worst person in the world, and he was, in fact, the worst person in the world. That's the irony of Keith Olbermann. Um, 
But uh, Kimball's talking to Pelosi here, and, and she's saying that impeachment, you know, the American people have to be ready. She said, we have a defiance of the Constitution. What's the, de-? you know, she says that, and that's that's a very much a Pelosiism because it's it's a grandiose-sounding term. She's trying to, you know, rally left-wing imbeciles to her side. What is a defiance of the Constitution? What, what's the defiance of the Constitution she's talking about? You know, this is just like undermining our institutions, you know, protecting our democracy. These are, are phrases that, that, that bring with them all this, this sense of importance, you know, the, the gravity of the moment encapsulated in words. Okay, but what, is, what does it really mean? You know, this, protecting our institutions, how? Do, do all of our institutions deserve to be protected or do some of them need to be pretty much raised to the ground and started anew? Should the FBI just be celebrated for being awesome and perfect, or should we look at what really happened there with regard to spying on a presidential campaign and Russia collusion and all the rest of it? I think these are fair questions to ask. Um, Meanwhile, Jimmy Kimmel, to give you a sense of where the Hollywood lib mindset is on all this, right? So Pelosi's engaged in in a, a perpetuating a fraud in front of the American people. The fraud is that they have not been dedicated to and planning on an impeachment proceeding all along. Of course they have. That's obvious. That's what's going on. They're going to impeach. All right, you're hearing it from me. You've been hearing it from me. They're going to impeach the president. They they will not be able to back down from this and not look weak to their base. They figure that this will, if nothing else, tie Trump down in counter-narrative efforts Instead of going around saying, hey, look at how awesome the economy is. Look at how much better the country is working now than it was working literally in terms of jobs uh, than it was when Obama was in charge. No, no, he's going to have to spend all this time. No, I didn't obstruct. That's a lie. That's a lie. So they just bury him in in this slime. They know they'll be able to do that with the impeachment proceeding. Uh, But Pelosi is still sticking to the script here. We haven't made the decision yet. We're just waiting to see. Just waiting to see what we come up with when we've reviewed all the facts because we're so objective in all this. And it's about the Constitution. That's not about the Constitution. It's about libs wanting to be back in power and get even with Trump. Remember, there are a lot of people that put their hopes and dreams that attach themselves to politicians. The way that other people attach themselves to sports teams or celebrities, you know, they think that that person or that team is a reflection of who they are. And look, it, in certain ways, it's not, you know, people who love their sports team, that's fine and good, but some people take it too far. You know, some people keep referring to the team as, as we long after the game is over and they don't wipe the paint off their faces and they go to work for a couple of days wearing the jersey. It's like, calm down, buddy. You're not actually on the Rangers. You know, you need to, need to chill. Um, but politicians and for liberals, I mean, I've seen people recently, uh, I saw someone write that, you know, liberalism is is a form of identity politics for college-educated white people now in this country. That you really want to be liberal just because of what it says about you, not because of what your beliefs are. And that's a major part of, of liberal, uh, liberal branding. And Nancy Pelosi is playing into that here. And Nancy Pelosi knows that, you know, you, you, she just has to convince the libs that the good people want to punish Trump and then everything else will start to fall. And then everything else falls into place. It doesn't need to doesn't need to worry about the details. You don't have to worry about the details. Just just push this narrative more. But Kimmel, who's one of these nasty libs, rich libs out on the West Coast, here's what he has to say to Nancy Pelosi on that show. Play seven. 
you know, we don't, we haven't had a chance to see the Mueller report. We, it don't, doesn't seem like, it seems like when you subpoena somebody in Congress, they, for some reason, it used to be, it seemed like you got subpoenaed by Congress, you had to go in and speak. Now it's like, I don't know if I'm going to do that. If I do, I have some different terms that I'm, can't you put those people in jail? Can't you put those people in jail? This is a comedian, everybody, on a, on a major national TV platform. Can you put those people in jail? Don't forget, as we get closer to the real height of this election battle, don't forget the lessons of Kavanaugh. Don't forget that the true believer libs don't think it's enough to have power. They don't think it's enough to get their way. They want to get their way and they want to inflict punishment and misery and degradation on their ideological opponents. Because the only way they can believe what they believe is by insisting on the not just wrongness but evil of the other side. Otherwise, they would have to grapple with facts. They'd have to grapple with differing notions of of the common good and what Policies work and don't work. No, no, so much easier to, we're the nice people. We're the good people. We care about the poor. We care about minorities. Those mean conservatives are evil. They're white nationalists. They're alt-right. They support Trump. They're all of these things. And if they have to go to prison and have their lives ruined and have you know, their, their families pulled apart and because you know, we, we have to win, then so be it. That's their attitude. It's a very common attitude on the left. They, they view all of this as, as zero sum. They're going scorched earth. They have no interest whatsoever in meeting us halfway. It's not going to happen. In fact, they complain to people like the Speaker of the House, why can't you lock up those who don't do what the congressional majority says? Well, there are some very good reasons, very good answers to that, but Nancy Pelosi didn't give them, of course, because she's a panderer, just like Elizabeth Warren, who we'll talk about later on. Stay with me. Uh, some of you may be aware our gun laws in the United States don't make much sense. Anybody can buy any weapon anytime without... Uh, you know, without much, if any, regulation, they can buy it over the internet, they can buy machine guns. That was uh, former President Obama... I think we can just refer to it as Obama. I, I'm not a believer, as you know, and I'm never going to change my mind on this one unless somebody makes a really compelling case. I'm not a believer in anyone maintaining a, a government title when they no longer have that title. I don't like calling former speakers of the House Mr. Speaker. I don't like calling former ambassadors ambassador. Or, you know, My only exception is people in the military, and that's just because I think the military should get a special a special deference, but that's it. Um, the former president of the United States here is speaking in front of a foreign audience. He's in Brazil. And everything that he said there is a lie. It's it's not that it's uh, up for debate or discussion or, I mean, you know, okay, the one part about much, if any, regulation, you could argue that that's an opinion, right? Although that's a, it's a stupid, it's a stupid opinion, but he's allowed to have stupid opinions. I think Obama had many stupid opinions. But the things, there were, there are objective things that he said. Anybody can buy any weapon anytime. That's a lie. Anybody cannot buy any weapon. In fact, you are 
a prohibited possessor for a whole host of reasons. If you're a convicted felon, if you have been convicted of a crime of domestic abuse, if you are a uh, an abuser or addict of illegal drugs, um, n- none of those none of those categories you're allowed to legally own any firearm of any kind. So it's not true that anybody can buy any weapon anytime. That's 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 a lie. Start with that. That's a lie. And uh, any weapon, he also says, really. How many of you who listen to this show, who own and know about firearms, how many of you think you could just walk in and uh, buy an M60? Fully automatic, belt-fed M60. Now, I know there are a few of you who are like, I can, Buck, I have the federal license. I know, but not you. I mean, the, the rest of the 99% of the people listening to this show cannot buy an M60. Legally would not be able to do it. There's a whole bunch. And if you live in a blue state, you probably, or it depends on the blue state, but I mean, if you live in Connecticut, for example, you would not be able to buy a standard, uh, a standard Colt made AR-15. Couldn't buy it. You, I think you'd have to, I don't know what the, what, how the ban is there. I know the ban in New York is you couldn't buy a standard AR-15. You'd have to buy some kind of modified AR that has a different stock and a, a different magazine and no foregrip. And there's all these essentially cosmetic restrictions. So, but the point here is it's a lie. What Obama's saying is a lie. Um, they can buy it over the internet. That's also not true. They can, he explicitly said they can buy machine guns. That's not true. So, well, let's, let's unpack that for a moment. What are we, what are we to make of that? Um, why, why would the former president of the United States go before a foreign audience and tell them things about America that are not true and, and then do it in a way that, um, you know, what's the purpose of this? What, why would he do this? Uh, why take down America as the former president of the United States to a foreign audience? He was speaking at the VTEX. Digital Innovation, Digital Innovation Convention in Sao Paulo. Um, he also said the most difficult day during his two-term presidency was the Sandy Hook shooting. Uh, so, look, it, it's it's also, I think, noteworthy that Obama is saying this in Brazil, which has very restrictive gun laws. You know, you are, it's very hard to get a gun in Brazil legally. And Brazil has among the highest firearms homicide rates in the world. And it is about per capita, I think, five or six times, five or six X our own. So he's speaking in a country that has strict gun laws where they suffer from a true plague of gun violence every day. And he's doing it to get cheap applause. Because I've always felt this way about Obama. He is he is fueled by cheap applause. Now a lot of a lot of politicians are. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that this is a unique to Obama, uh, but not a guy that had a lot of new ideas. Really was dogmatically liberal. You know, did not break from the liberal consensus on anything that I can remember, and knew exactly what to say to different audiences to get them to to go liberal audiences to get them go along with it. But this is also a, just a general liberal trait. They like to go on TV. They like to go on foreign soil. This is like my, I know I'm still fixated on CNN International, but they like to go in front of foreign audiences and trash America as though they think that there's some benefit to be derived from that. You know, they, they feel like they elevate themselves personally 
by taking shots at their own country. I can't understand that. Let, let's just say it, okay? Brazil has a heck of a lot more to learn from us than we have to learn from Brazil. And it ain't even close. So I, I just wish the libs would, would stop doing this. Uh, it's very common. They like to go over, you know, whether it's, you know, actors or musicians or, you know, just sort of famous self-righteous libs, Democrat politicians, they're overseas and there's always a pretty real, there's always this, this possibility or maybe even probability that when America comes up, they'll say, oh yeah, you know, America's an embarrassment. And they'll make fun of all the, you know, the right wing crazies and everything in this country. And all we do is eat cheeseburgers and drive around in big SUVs that guzzle too much gas and climate change and all this. You know, we're, we're one American family here. When, when you go outside the family, you, everyone knows this. There's what you can say inside the family, and then there's what you say outside the family. You talk to somebody outside about what's going on in the family, everything's great. Everyone's awesome. You don't air the family dirty laundry in front of outsiders. And this is what Democrats do. They get on foreign soil. And in this case, a former president, the most recent president before Trump, they get on foreign soil, and they just take some cheap shots at their own country. And it's just, it's just smarmy and low and... And uh, I, I don't I don't think it's OK. Russia, Russia, Vladimir Putin, Russia, 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 Russia hates Russia, 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 Putin, Russia's Russia, 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 Russian, 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 Russia, Russia, Moscow, Moscow, Russia, Russian, pro-Russian, Russian, Russia, Russian, 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 we just gave you we just gave you a a review of Rachel Maddow's show, the highest rated show on MSNBC. Some it's the highest rated show across all the lib networks. We gave you a review of Rachel Maddow's show for about the last two years. Russia, 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 Moscow, Trump Tower, Trump Tower, Moscow, Russia, Manafort, Moscow, Russia, collusion, 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 you know, election interference, blah, blah. That's it. That's all. If you know that, you know what she's been doing for two years on the air. And turns out that Russia, Russia what when it comes to Trump? Russia did what exactly with the Trump campaign? Oh, that's right. Nothing. Nothing. Well, it turns out there's a little bit of unease among some of the libs right now because they know that their brand has taken a hit. They're aware of the fact that the public, at least the public that has at least two brain cells to rub together that watches these shows, which is not that many of them, recognizes that they've been led astray that this was overhyped. Now, not many of them, by the way. Most of them still are, that's right, Trump and Trump and Russia, Trump and Russia. They've been brainwashed. The Trump and Russia, they work together. You know, they, they, they can't help. It, it's more, you know, not my president. It just gets them so excited, uh, this prospect that Hillary didn't really lose. It, it's such a seductive, they can't escape it. It's such a seductive narrative. So much easier. To look at that, um, but some of the newspapers are walking are, are backing away, at least from their quote news reporters, which we all know they've all got an agenda too. But they do more of the facts than the strictly opinion and propagandizing uh, networks out there. This is a story on Vanity Fair today: uh, inconsistent, incoherent, and poorly conceived. The New York Times clamps down on reporters going on MSNBC. Is this a liberal media war? This is very interesting. Apparently, the Times just uh, yanked, quote, one of its journalists from Rachel Maddow amid concerns about cable news bias. 
Dean Baquet, or is it Backett? I don't know how you say it. Baquet thinks it's a real issue. That's the uh, guy who runs the New York Times. But didn't MSNBC help build the Times' business? And aren't they in the same Trump-era boat? Oh, wow. You mean the New York Times is trying to walk away a little bit from the the nonsense propaganda of Rachel Maddow's show when it comes to Russia collusion? You You mean to tell me that there is now some recognition among these various libs that they should not have gotten way, way, way ahead of the facts if they're now going to present themselves as objective, objective news reporters. Nope, not objective, not objective. In fact, the opposite. They are highly, highly partisan. Um, but they, they need to try to protect that brand somehow. So there are, there are reporters from the New York Times who are being told they cannot go on the uh, Maddow show, which is, if you're a liberal... The single, oh, and it's not just Maddow show, Don Lemon, too, who I believe Trump calls the dumbest man on television or the dumbest news host on television, which is a pretty, that's a pretty strong case. Uh, you know, the New York Times contributors aren't allowed to go on uh, Don Lemon's show anymore. Uh, opinion columnists can, but not the news reporters because, it, because of the perception of bias. So for those who have been saying all along, oh, you know, this, the, the the it's just the facts at seeing everything. No, no, there's some recognition coming up now of they've gone, they've just gone too far. Trump has broken them and they really have lost their minds. And in the era of Trump, it has become too obvious that there's an agenda at work. It's become too obvious that these lib networks have taken it upon themselves to be the hashtag resistance and to protect the perception of their news gathering organizations as Neutral or nonpartisan, the Times and others are pulling their people off air. Sure enough, Hollywood disappoints again. I had told you all about Chernobyl and how it's a very well done show. It it, it will haunt you. It's uh, difficult to watch in parts, especially because you can't comfort yourself by telling yourself, oh, this is fictional or this isn't really what happened. It, It is what happened and you know chernobyl it doesn't really spare you from some of the uh, very painful and, and gory moments of that nuclear meltdown and it's just a a way of seeing what a sclerotic ossified soviet bureaucracy is really like and how the state the big s state if left to its own devices doesn't really care about the suffering of its people, doesn't really want to be held accountable, and is willing to uh, use brute force to make sure that suffering that is occurring is not known to the rest of the people. Um, So there's some very important lessons from it. But they were not content, Hollywood and the libs, and they were not content to just allow it to be a very good show. Um, They went, well, one of the creators of it, Decided to get into a, wow, HBO's Chernobyl is already the highest rated show of all time on IMDb, according to producer Mike here. I told you, it's a very good show. It's just very well done. Um, the guy who plays the kind of lead scientist is is really exceptional. Uh, I don't know. I've never, I don't, I've seen him in other stuff, I think, but I can't remember what, but he does a really good job. But Stephen King, the guy who writes about the, you know, he's really, look, he's, he's one of the most famous fiction writers of all time, I think, or at least one of the most famous of my lifetime, uh, Stephen King, who wrote It and Pet Cemetery and all these different books that, 
Yo, producer Mike, what is, what is the most famous? Is there like, what's the, do you, are you a Stephen King person? Here and there. Like I do, I like some of his stuff. I, don't, I haven't read any of his books, but um, I, I watch his movies. It's not really my genre, but I do enjoy some of them. I mean, what's the what's the most famous Stephen King book of all? Is it is it Pet Cemetery? Is that or that's no? the one I would identify with. That's the one that it is, this and they just did a remake of that. Um, but I remember he got on my radar with uh, Pet Cemetery. And then there's it right with the clowns. Anyway, I never I've yeah. never read a Stephen King book actually. I, you know, he's not one of those. You know, I've read a lot of Tom Clancy and a lot of Michael Crichton. I've never read any Stephen King. But anyway, he weigh, and he's a super lib. No surprise. He weighed in on Twitter. With the following, it's impossible to watch HBO's Chernobyl without thinking of Donald Trump like those in charge of the doomed Russian reactor. He's a man of mediocre intelligence in charge of great power, economic and global that he does not understand. Now, I mean, I I have problems with this on many levels. Uh, First off, to to tie the Chernobyl reactor meltdown of 1986 to Donald Trump is is a stretch in every way. It, it, it's just, it, you know, this is like saying that anything bad that happens is essentially Trump-like because Trump is so bad that you can compare it, that you can compare him to any bad thing. I mean, there's really no similarity here. I mean, to say that he's a man of mediocre intelligence in charge of great power that he does not understand, uh, how, how did Donald Trump beat the most... Um, completely in the tank media and political machine imaginable with the Hillary 2016 campaign. The, the, the guy is, I'm not saying that he's, he's a, a great intellect. I'm not saying that he could sit down and write you an incredible essay on, you know, the origins of Burkean conservative thought or something. He, he is a political genius. He's a political genius to do what he did required a level of genius. And this is why I often will say, look, he's a president, I'm not. He understands things in a way that I don't. Uh, Am I more well-read than Donald Trump? Yes. Is that bragging? No, because I don't think it's that hard to be. Does he have tremendous skills that far exceed my own in different areas and that I'm nearly in awe of his, like his ability to sell, his ability to endure, his ability to have animal political instincts that are just correct when everyone else thinks they're wrong? Those are like those are almost like uh, special powers that he has. And I'm not saying that, you know, he's as a as a person, he's some kind of a superhero. I just mean he has he has gifts. He has some gifts. But to suggest that he's this this bumbling fool. They said this about George Bush, too. You know, and they tell us that Obama was a genius, though. Obama's not a genius. Obama's very mediocre. Political skills. Yes. Great thinker. Absolutely not. Absolutely. Obama's Obama's entire worldview, ideology, the way he'd react to things on the fly was just rote, pure left-wing liberalism that you'd get from any college professor at any third-tier school anywhere in the country. That was Obamaism. But it was in this persona of, you know, the, uh, the whole Obama life and the, you know, all that stuff, right? I mean, that so that was, anyway, I know I'm getting a little bit deeper into the weeds on this than I meant to, but I just think that that's nonsense that Stephen King will say that. But what's even more annoying to me, though, is that then Craig Mazin responded to this tweet, and he is the uh, creator of Chernobyl, I believe. Um, And he wrote, first, this is to Stephen King, I'm so pleased you're watching. And second, I'm so pleased you're smartly watching, not that there was ever a doubt. 
So, you know, not quite piling on as hard as he could, but definitely suggesting that this comparison of Trump to the Chernobyl meltdown and, and the Soviet bureaucracy around it is apt. I mean, this is this is just so inverted. Thing. This is so such an inverted reality. I mean, Trump is a even if you even if someone hates Donald Trump, Trump is a hyper capitalist. Trump is a may the best man win, you know, win whenever you can. Like that's Trump. Trump is not. Nobody actually gets to win. Everyone pretends to share all the stuff, share the wealth. No one makes any decisions. I mean, he's the opposite of a Soviet bureaucracy. He's the opposite of a slothful government functionary. And you know why there's a sensitivity here is that the Democratic Party is the party of the slothful government functionary. The Democratic Party is the American political ideology that is most associated with a crushing, massive federal bureaucracy. It's not, it's not conservatives. It's not the ones that are saying, let's get rid of whole departments. Let's cut the budget for this stuff. Let's have less regulation. Let's. So, I mean, to make this comparison, but this is the same people that, you know, that say Trump is Hitler. They used to say Bush is Hitler. Anyone they don't like is Hitler. Anyone in power that doesn't agree with uh, the, the various tenets of contemporary liberalism can be disregarded as as a not just a dumb person but a bad person. And you know what it is? is liberalism is just intellectually flaccid. It just it lacks it lacks a a structure that is tangible and real. It's just it's emotion wrapped in emotion covered in self-righteousness and virtue signaling. What what does the contemporary liberal really even stand for? bigger government, destroying the, you know, kicking at the load-bearing walls of Western civilization. I mean, you know, what do, what do liberals even really, you know, giving, giving some people what they want and telling other people that even if it harms them or it takes from them, well, because of an interpretation of history or because of an interpretation of contemporary oppression, it's fine. I just... I just think, you know, I think liberalism is really a kind of mass. It's turned in the era of Trump. It has turned into a mass psychosis. And this comparison of of Trump to the Soviet bureaucracy in the era of Chernobyl is is just nuts. It's it's, it's such a slap. I was glad to see my friend Dan Bongino weigh in on this one on Twitter, too. You know, Dan, and I'll tell you this. I don't often I don't talk that much about other people in the business. You know, Dan has had a, uh, a, he's always been a very talented guy, but the last two years he's really done, you know, he's just, he's just built uh, a, a, a real empire for himself. And I will tell you, he is one of the, the nicest guys in this business. He's always given me helpful advice. He's always been a friend. He's always been a really, really good dude. Um, so I'm really happy to see Dan do so well. Also happy to see him smack, uh, smack some libs around. Uh, he wrote the following. Why do Hollywood elitists continue to publicly humiliate themselves on Twitter? Chernobyl was a failure of socialism where the government controls the means of production. The exact opposite of the Trump deregulation and tax cut agenda. Yeah, it's just another another very well put way of, of saying what I'm telling you, which is that th- this is they take the they make something artistic that has a worthwhile message and the libs will rewrite history and create some obtuse illogical takeaway because they can't help themselves because what is closer what is closer to the to the soviet bureaucracy 
that defies truth, that does not care about the real-life consequences of policies, that believes that the revolution and the cause, as defined by a governing elite, is more important and more powerful and more worthy than anything, including preventing the murder of perhaps millions, or the death, I should say, of millions of people in the Soviet Union. What is closer to that mentality? The individual rights, constitutional, limited government, freedom, liberty group, which would be conservatives, or the we get to tell you what you can put on social media, what you can drive, what power you can use, what you can say, how much of your own stuff you can keep. Cross us and we'll use the deep state to ruin you, Democrat Party. I mean, who's closer to this? I'm not saying they are Soviets, but who's closer to the Soviet Union? The, the American left, the American right. There's no question it's the American left. It's one of the reasons why I still really reject or, or, or resent this usage of red as the color for the Republican Party and blue for the Democrats. That's, that's, that's not an accident, folks, and there's no good reason for that. The Democrats should be the reds, and we should be the blues. It seems like a minor thing, but it's really not. It's the same way that they've appropriated the term liberal. They've taken from us the word most associated with what is central to our belief system, which is liberty, individual liberty and the human dignity and freedom that comes with it. They've taken that word and made it their word, and they're the, they're the antithesis of liberalism. That's why I'll call them libs now, but I used to refuse to call them liberals. And then finally I said, all right, I guess I can't, I can't fight City Hall on this one. You know, they've moved away from progressives because that's just, that's just not hip anymore. I just like leftists. In my college thesis, that's how I refer to them. I'll keep referring to them that way, leftists. But yeah, leftists, even when they make good movies, they take the wrong message from it. Chernobyl's a great show, but the creator of it and Stephen King and other libs take the exact wrong message away from it, which is that, oh, this is like Trump. No, it's not like Trump at all. It's actually the opposite of Trump. It's like you guys. It's like the Democrats, not you listening to this, but the Democrats. That's what the Soviet bureaucracy should remind everybody of. And that's why there's this sensitivity and this effort to say, oh, it's, it's like Trump. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think so, clowns. I don't think so. We'll be right back. We can cancel student loan debt for about 95% of the people who have it. Wow. And now, finally, but but we can do so much more. Two cents. We can not only do that, we can also provide universal tuition-free technical school, two-year college, and four-year college for every one of our kids who wants to go in Plus, we can do universal child care for every baby age zero to five. Universal pre-K for every three-year-old and four-year-old in this country and raise the wages of every child care worker in preschool. Senator, to the level. you know what's going to happen? You know- We're just going to give a lot of free stuff to different people by taxing the rich people? Oh, man, Elizabeth Warren, she makes Hillary seem appealing. That was on The View, by the way. Joy Bears. Like, yes, I love all the free stuff, except I, I don't work for free. I work for millions. But I care so much about poor people because I'm Joy Behar. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think that she cares about poor people at all. I think it's all a front. 
I think that these multimillionaire libs that go on TV, their favorite thing to pretend, their number one thing to pretend they, they really, really care a lot about, talking about the white libs on TV, is, is fighting against racism. That's because it requires nothing from them. They'd be like, I'm not, you know, I'm Joy Behad, I'm not racist. And I hate racist Donald Trump because he's such a racist. Uh, and then there, there are other favorite things to pretend they care so much about poor people. They don't do anything for poor people. They don't, they don't have any necessarily any even personal connection to the poor. Uh, they make no sacrifices in their own life. But they want us all to know that they really care about poor, poor people. Um, but back to Elizabeth Warren, talking about giving all this free stuff. Notice how that crowd at The View, which I wonder where the, the mean IQ is lower, the IQ of the average audience member on The View or The Bill Maher Show. Both of them just liberal seals clapping like they're trained you know they're going to get a fish every time they clap like seals that's true of both of those audiences i've actually been in the bill maher audience once because my friend se cup was was on the show and and she brought me along as a guest uh that audience is the dumbest audience of anything i've ever just the things that they clap at i'm like are you guys all morons well the answer is yes but uh poke uh, whoa (laughs) elizabeth warren that was actually a freudian slip uh elizabeth warren knows that promising all this free stuff is going to get this audience very, very fired up and on her side. And she's she's desperately trying to move away from her identity politics fraud, right, that she's a Cherokee from Oklahoma, to how she's the ideas candidate. But really all she's doing is taking Bernie Sanders' ideas and being a woman as she says them, and that's it. I mean, that's the difference, and being younger than Bernie, uh, which is not hard. So that's all that she brings to the table at this point. She went on this show, uh, The Breakfast Club, which I've seen clips of a few times before. I'm not really familiar with the people on the show. I, mean, I know it's, uh, I believe, two of the hosts are African-American. I think one is Latino. I don't, I don't, and I don't know who all the hosts are, but uh, she was on that show, and it was very interesting. This, this guy named Charlemagne the God, he was speaking to Elizabeth Warren, and I, I, I note that these Politicians, especially some of the ones who are very used to being treated a certain way by the mainstream media and everything else, the, these politicians, um, they don't do very well with the kind of unscripted, off-the-cuff podcast, radio show kind of format. Um, you know, with, without, their, without George Stephanopoulos holding their hands as a Democrat, uh, they, they can get thrown off their game a little bit. Here's Charlemagne the God talking to Elizabeth Warren. And I'm gonna I'm gonna play a good chunk of this clip because I want you to hear this. I mean, he he calls her out. I, I give him credit. I'm, I, I believe the guy's a Democrat. He's a leftist. He's I'm sure gonna vote for a, you know a Democrat in 2020. But at least he's doing a real interview. Play clip. Uh, play clip two. How long? How long? How long did you hold on to that? Because there was some report that said you were Native American on your Texas bar license, and that you said you were Native American on some documents when you were a professor at Harvard. Yeah. Like, why'd you do that? So it's what I believe. You know, that's like I said, it's what I learned from my family. When did you find out you when did you find out you weren't? Well, you know, it's it, I'm not a person of color. I'm not a citizen of a tribe. And tribal citizenship is an important distinction and not something I am. So were there any benefits to that? No. Boston I, Globe did a full investigation. It never affected, nothing about my family ever affected any job I ever got. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't get a discount in college. No. You're kind of like the original Rachel Dozo a little bit. Rachel Dozo was a white woman pretending to be black. Well, 
This is what I learned from my family. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You're like the original Rachel Dolezal. Remember Rachel Dolezal? She was a, a white woman living her life as a black woman, despite the fact that she was not black. And I, I believe was a uh, some senior member of the NAACP chapter in the Pacific Northwest. I think it was Seattle or Portland or somewhere like that. I forget where exactly. Uh, but she, yeah, she was a, a white woman living her life as a black woman. And had adopted this persona that she was a black woman and worked for the NAACP, uh, if memory serves. And here, Charlemagne the God, who is a black person, is asking Elizabeth Warren, like, how do you how do you go through your adult life? You're you're a teacher, you're a professor at, at Harvard, at University of Pennsylvania, these Ivy League schools, and you just assumed that even though you're the whitest white woman that anyone's ever seen, that you're actually an, a, a Cherokee. You know, I spoke to someone who studied with her, and this is a private person, so I've got to protect the source, but I spoke to somebody who uh, took classes with her at Harvard Law School, and he said that she would refer to herself as a, as a uh, Cherokee from Oklahoma on a, uh, she was the chapter president of the end of, sorry, Elizabeth, not Elizabeth Warren, Rachel Dolezal, producer Mike tells me, was the chapter president of the NAACP in Spokane, Washington. Yep, the chapter president of the uh, NAACP. So, wow. Back to Elizabeth Warren, this guy that I know who studied with her at Harvard Law School, uh, was a student of hers when she was a professor there, said that she would refer to herself regularly. It was just known that she was Elizabeth Warren Cherokee. That was that was her identity there. And this pretense now, they're like, oh, and it didn't do anything or whatever. It's not. And I think Charlemagne the God looks at her and is like, really? Like, you, you never really thought this one through? It wasn't like a minor thing. I mean, she really was representing herself. She wrote in Pow Wow Chow. <laughs> she wrote in Pow Wow Chow, where she plagiarized the recipe, Elizabeth Warren Cherokee. So she this was really a part of, you know, I don't write on things like Buck Sexton, you know, ang- Anglo-Irish white guy. You know, I, I don't write that on things. I mean, this was really a part of her conception of herself and how she does things and who she was and. Charlemagne's like, this is kind of weird, right? I mean, you you were living this fraud, whether it directly professionally benefited you or not. There's something definitely off about it. And then he asked her about something else, and I, I didn't even know this part of her. So, look, I tip my hat to the Breakfast Club. They got a real interview out of, out of Elizabeth Warren. you know. And there was a lot of pandering, by the way, that went on, too. I mean, at different points of the interview, she started talking about you know, all the things that she wants to do for the black community and, you know, how she's in favor of reparations and all this stuff. I was just waiting for her to pull a Hillary Clinton and be like, oh, and I have hot sauce in my handbag all the time, you know, and, and I love hip hop music and just just being the most like lame, old, white, lib boomer trying to pander imaginable. Right. I mean, that's that's what Hillary used to do. And it's obviously what Warren's doing. But uh, Mr. The God. That's what's that's, that's his name. I don't know what his real name is. Uh, asked her about something else that I didn't even know, which is that she used to be a registered Republican. Play clip three. The only folks who were willing to stand and fight were folks like Paul Wellstone and Ted Kennedy. And was man, your that's family when Republican? I, is that why? Like sometimes you do what your family you know, registers? When I say I really, we weren't active, mm-hmm. I actually don't even know. Okay. I don't, I don't even know how they were. You had a lot of confusion back in the day, Ms. Warren. You yeah. thought you was Native American? You thought you was Republican? Like yeah. when you get on the when you get on the right track, you got to a fork in the road at some point. Yeah. yeah, you know, a big part of it was when I got into the fights. 
over you've got to make the law reflect our values you've got to have a law that that doesn't just work for those at the top but that works for everyone else good for him Mr. The God saying, yeah, you know, there's some stuff in your background for Miss Progressive Fighter for Social Justice. And really all social justice is, and this is borrowing a bit from Thomas Sowell, I mean, social justice is just the institutionalization of the politics of envy and of class warfare and identity politics. That's what social justice is a catch-all term for changing things uh, changing things around so that um, some people are going to benefit at the expense of other people based on gender, racial categorization, etc. That's all it is. Or or class category. And, and they'll say that it's justice. They'll say that, that's, that what's fair is somebody, the government, taking from some people to give to others, whether it's money, whether it's a benefit, whether it's access. And it's a redistributive process. And there's always an arbitrariness to it. It's not, it's not based on the market. It's not based on contracts, on free association, and individual rights. It's what does the power, what do the powers that be think should happen here? And that is what happens. And that's, that is a, a very short, but I think decent working definition of social justice. Elizabeth Warren is Miss Social Justice. And, you know, she, she might have been formidable if she had run in 2016. If she had run instead of Bernie, maybe it wouldn't have gone Hillary's way, although I still think the DNC was probably so far in the tank for Hillary that it would not have mattered. Uh, but she was confused about being a Native American. She says confused. I mean, I just think that I think that it was like family lore that she capitalized on. You know, she she took that little story that people, you know, there's all kinds of stories. You know, my my background, I'm related to this like famous founding father and that, you know, I don't say it. I don't know. Is it true? Who knows? Who cares? She took this, uh, yeah, that's right, Buck's related to one of the, not the most famous founders, really the forgotten founder, but apparently I'm related to him. Um, but she took this and realized that there's a, a benefit, and then she got that benefit, and now she's telling us she didn't get it. And Charlemagne the God is like, so you were confused about being a Republican and confused about being a Cherokee. What else were you confused about? <laughs> Did you happen to see Good the question, video this, Buck? Oh, yeah, it's amazing. It's, yeah, the look on his it's face amazing. is priceless. It's so awkward. He's like, they're so close, and he's looking at her like, really? <laughs> she, it, was just, it was priceless. And it's amazing. All right, we had a quick break, team. We'll be right back. What is this I see all of a sudden? Uh, AOC and Ted Cruz are talking about agreeing on a lifetime ban for, uh, for members of Congress from, for lob- from lobbying. I, I, I don't like this. Uh, it's not that I don't like them agreeing. If there's something they should agree on, I'm, o- I'm okay with that. But I just don't think this is the right idea. I disagree with Ted on this one. Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, tweeted out today, if you're a member of Congress and you leave, you shouldn't be allowed to turn right around and leverage your service for a lobbyist check. I don't think it should be legal t- at all to become a corporate lobbyist if you served in Congress. At minimum, there should be a long wait period. That was AOC. Ted Cruz responded to her on Twitter. Here's something I don't say often. On this point, I agree with AOC. Indeed, I have long called for a lifetime ban on former members of Congress becoming lobbyists. The swamp would hate it, but perhaps there's a chance for some bipartisan cooperation. You know, I, I there's a, uh, you know, there, there's a problem here, and that is that the First Amendment 
is still a thing, even if some people don't like it, uh, even if there are some people who have an issue with the way that it works. Um, and and you should be able to, uh, you know, go and, and share your thoughts with your representatives. And even, you know, if you're getting paid for it, if you're a lobbyist, you know, this is kind of the way it is, folks. I, I know right now you have, I think, a one-year ban on lobbying if you're a me- member of the House and a two-year ban if you're a member of the Senate. Uh, but I mean, a lifetime ban—that—that that to me just seems like a—it just seems like an unconstitutional restriction. Why can't you uh, try to get redress of grievances from your government or try to push policies that you like? As a, you're a private citizen, as a lobbyist, you're not a member of the government anymore. So I, I don't know. I, I don't see this the way Ted Cruz and AOC do. Um, and I, and I, I think that if you really believe that the swamp will be drained. Uh, because you're going to make it harder for people who formerly were members of Congress to be lobbyists. I think you're underestimating how deep and wide and, and you know, intractably grotesque the swamp really is. I don't know if that's a phrase, but I just made it up. Uh, but then there's something else about AOC or something AOC-like that got my attention. There's, there's uh, apparently this mini AOC, Ava Martinez of Lake Forest, Colorado. Have you guys heard this? It's Friday, so I feel like we have a little fun with it. Uh, this is a, a, a young girl uh, who does this AOC uh, impersonation, and it's really pretty. It's really pretty fun. It's really pretty funny. Uh, she does. She does a good. She's an eight-year-old, and uh, she. I think she gets these issues about as well as AOC does. Play clip one. Like hello, America. AOC here again, but this time from Washington D.C., which is named after our country's first president. George Washington, D.C. Did you know that? Like, I want to tell you about my plan to single-handedly save the planet. I call it the Green New Deal. I picked green because I'm still learning my colors. I came up with my plan after watching, like, the most important documentary on climate change. It's called Ice Age 2, The Meltdown. That's not me saying it. That's science. My Green New Deal will cost like $93 trillion. Do you know how much that is? Me neither. Because it's totally worth it. If sea levels keep rising, we won't be able to drive to Hawaii anymore. And I just got this electric car. It's eco-friendly. Everyone has to drive one under my deal. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like, you know, it's pretty much... In line with AOC's thinking on everything, yeah, it's it's parody. Oh, hopefully they're not going to try to get Facebook to take down this this young girl's videos. Oh man, it's pretty it's pretty entertaining. You know, you see, having an eight year old that is doing comedy is one thing. No one's actually suggesting that young uh, Ava Martinez should march into Congress and make demands about climate change. That's what the libs do. But having an eight year old be kind of funny in this way, look, it's it's amusing. It's entertaining. That. That much is uh, is for sure, but yeah, Ted Cruz and AOC agreeing on this lobbyist ban thing. I don't know. I feel like Ted. I feel like Ted wanted some attention. You know, this is one way to get it. Here I am talking about him. I haven't seen. I haven't seen Ted in a while. I'll tell you, I've interviewed him numerous times. I've met him numerous times. He always pretends to not know who I am. <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. Always pretends to not know who I am. Like Ted, you know, I interviewed. I interviewed him for the first time for an hour on the phone say, seven years ago, maybe. Um, and we've had several sit downs one on one since then. And Ted's always just like, good to meet, good to meet you, Buck. I'm like, yes, Senator Cruz, good to meet you for the, uh, for the eighth time. 
I'm glad. Um, uh, I don't know that that many. Do, do I look like the guy from Parks and Rec that much that you can't keep us uh, keep us separate in your head? Oh man, people also used to say young James Spader. They look like a young James Spader back in the day. I don't know if that's. I think I'll take that over uh, Ben Wyatt from Parks and Rec. But it is it is what it is. I'm trying to think of a new show that I'm going to watch this weekend too. I'll, I'll take some recs on that from all of you before we get going and do a roll call here in a few minutes. What what is the new show on Netflix that I should try out? And then I'll give you my impromptu review here on the show. Game of Thrones, they just tried to land that plane before it came apart. I mean, it was, and it was close, man. They almost crashed, they almost crashed that thing. Um, I need a new show. I don't have any people. Should I watch The Americans? Should I launch into it and really do it? Is it worth really spending the time at this point? I'm sure some of you will say yes. That's top of my list right now, but let me know. Roll call's up next. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Indeed. Friday Roll Call. Double the Roll Call, double the fun. Remember that? Double, double your refreshment. Ooh, no single gum, double freshens your life. Man, I watched so many commercials growing up. They, it's a, the TV industry really did brainwash us all in different ways. You you start to become more acclimated to it as you get older, but uh, or you know you recognize more as you get older. Uh, Facebook.com/slash Buck Sexton. If you want to be a part of this, that is the way to do it. Love to hear from you. Appreciate your thoughts. All of that good stuff. All of those good things. Coming via the Facebook. As, uh, as I mentioned to you, next week is my last week at Hill TV, which means that the door will be open for more Freedom Hut projects and less showing up, paying the bills projects at, uh, you know, the, the Hill. So uh, here we go. Glenn, first up. If Planned Parenthood does other procedures besides abortion then why would the one in Missouri have to close? Um, well, you know, Planned Parenthood, Glenn, always talks about the, the other procedures, uh, but they won't, they won't continue to do those procedures in the absence of abortion. I mean, they, they insist on, on bundling it all together, and that way they can refer to an abortion procedure as health care, when, as we know, that's a um, very euphemistic way of, of looking at it. And an abortion, and that's putting it mildly, looking at an abortion procedure. Michael writes, hey, Buck, can you please post more videos of your TV appearances onto YouTube? Thanks, buddy. Shields, hi. Uh, well, Michael, you know, I, I, I am happy to, um, and I try to whenever. It's really just I have to bother producer Mike sometimes after hours to get him to uh, pull it because they don't always post them on foxnews.com, so we have to find a way to get it separately. But yeah, last night it was uh, a little debate on Shannon Bream's show. Though Ed Henry was hosting, I like Ed. I think Ed always does a he's a he's a good he's a good TV TV host in general. Uh, but he uh, he let us he let us get after it a little bit. You know, he, he let the exchange get pretty feisty, and it should because I mean I think the this guy I forget who it was he was some former uh, some former deputy assistant attorney general or something under Obama, he's some Democrat lawyer, and his position get ready for this was that Mueller was, quote, 
too fair. That's what he said. Too fair to Trump in this whole process, which, you know, if you're going to be just absolutely delusional, then I I do think that a a bit of derision is is called for. I, I was professional, of course, but I mean, this guy, this guy was just was just nuts. I mean, he also said that he tried to make some point about how they don't prove that that the decision about not exonerating is made every day. It's just not made public. So, no, that's that's a an obtuse way of looking at this. They either bring charges or they don't. They don't say, well, we could have brought charges, but we didn't bring charges, which is what Mueller did. That is not what happens in legal cases. That is not what happens in our legal system. And that is what Mueller came up with here, because as, as we've been discussing, this was just all all along. This was about impeachment. That's what this was. That's what was going on. Uh, Kristen writes, I know you support Snippy, but I feel like it's kind of hard to navigate. Uh, well, Kristen, I'll go back and check out snippy.com, make sure that they've got all the updates they need. And, uh, and I will see what you're, uh, what you're telling me here. We'll, we'll get a sense as to how we, we always want to update the products and do the best we can. Sandra writes, uh, have been listening since real news with Amy Holmes. Since your recent iHeart site, new look, I'm not able to listen via iHeart. Just get a spinning icon that never turns into the arrow. So I have to listen via iTunes on my phone. Well, Sandra, first of all, thank you so much for continuing to listen. I'm sorry that we're putting some obstacles in your way. That is certainly not our intention. And, you know, we're trying to always update our technology and do everything we can to make it a a seamless and easy experience for you to listen. So please stay with us on this and uh, we'll try to get it fixed on BuckSexton.com so you'll be able to listen there. John Shields High, fan since the Real News days. Well, I love I love you folks who have been with me now for. I started Real News in 2012, I think. So we're going on now seven years. You've been you've been spending time listening to me, uh, consuming the content I put out there. I, it really it does mean a lot, and and I think you all who listen to the show know that I really honestly appreciate it. Uh, it's entirely possible, John writes, that the left believes they can use impeachment as a political tool to keep Trump from winning in 2020. Think of the campaign ads, President Trump impeached by the Senate. Then they can say, how can you vote for a man who was impeached? Again, if they believe it will help them, I think they will use it. Honestly, what else do they have? Kami Bear lives. Uh, yeah, John, I think this is what you're describing is the calculation that the Democrats are making, which is that there will be a enough of a boost for them and it's worthwhile enough for them to trash Trump through the impeachment process that it does not matter that there will also be an attendant backlash and mobilization of the pro-Trump base. You know, remember, they're they're fighting over we're fighting over a a few million and, and really more likely a few hundred thousand votes when when it all comes down to it in 2020. And uh, that will that will be the difference, and you know, mobilization and turnout of the base obviously plays a part in this too. But and if you're looking at the undecideds in places like Ohio and Florida, what do the Democrats think being able to run against an impeached president will mean for them? And if they come away from it thinking, well, this will be major benefit, they'll do it, and I think they will do it. I think we are, I think we are heading to impeachment. I really do. I believe that that is going to happen. Brandon writes, hey, Buck, podcast listener, I understand that podcasts have the uh, platforms have the right to place their ads in the show. Perhaps the producers that load your show can work the platforms as to the time placement of their ads. Uh, 
there are breaks that could be utilized so we're not interrupted in the middle of important parts of the show. You know, Brandon, I'm going to have to... Uh, I, I, a lot of people have been writing in about this, and I'm just going to have to dive into this and figure out how to make this the, the podcast experience a more seamless one. It, it is going to happen. Trust me, this is a, a priority. We have so many of you who are listening to the show now via podcast. Uh, it, it's, it, it's really, in terms of size, it's starting to get close to rivaling the overall radio show. So we're going to do more and more here to uh, make sure that we're going to have to have ads in the podcast, obviously, because got to keep the lights on in the Freedom Hut. Uh, but we will make it so that it's not as as jarring an experience. Kathy writes, please bring back Commie Bear. Action movie quote is fine for those that enjoy it, but I honestly believe that most of us would enjoy Commie Bear even more. Also hoping you'll have more time for History Deep Dives. Thanks, Kath from Kathy. All right, Kathy, the History Deep Dives, that's that will... I know I've said it before, but I, will, I was just... This past year, my schedule didn't allow for it. I didn't have the time to do the research and the reading and everything. Um, and Commie Bear, I'm happy to bring it back. It's just to get in the mindset of creating a character like that for a show like this, unless people really, really love it, it's just a lot of... Uh, it takes a lot of time and, and thought to, to make it work. Well, e- even a, a minute or two of Commie Bear takes more time than a standard you know, 15 minute long radio monologue to open the show in terms of the preparation, uh, just because writing in the writing in the voice of a throwback uh, Soviet teddy bear that drinks vodka, but also likes American pop culture and carries a kal- uh, Kalashnikov is not an easy thing to do. But I'm, I'm so glad, Kathy, you like him. And, and I, I do I do want to get back to some of the uh, team buck roots here. And, and that means commie bear and some of the history stuff. And I your, your thoughts are very much appreciated on this. Um, Josh writes, I'm excited to see you leave Rising and focus more on Buck-centered projects. I listen to you via podcast while at work daily. It's my favorite part of my work day. I hope when you say you're going digital, you mean Daily Wire or Blaze TV. Whatever it is, your show is the best take on the news each day. So keep it up and shields high. Uh, Josh, thanks so much. That's really encouraging. And yes, there's going to be here, I'll give you guys a little more of a preview. So I'm leaving the Hill next week, and I thank everybody at the Hill for their uh, for their time and uh, b- being colleagues of mine and all their hard work. Um, but we are what we're going to end up doing is uh, we are going to start streaming this radio show. I can't give you more details than that, but the radio show is going to be video streamed. We're going to have a seamless viewing experience. Uh, we're also going to. Uh, probably create some either adi- for the show or in addition to the show, a kind of long uh, long format style sit down uh, interview that I'll do with people and we'll be able to video that. So there's we, we are we are launching deep into the digital era, but of course going to continue with the radio show and, and provide great content as it is right now for all of our affiliates across the country. But we're just expanding. We're expanding on the show, giving more options, more ways to watch and listen. Uh, so that is definitely happening. Tommy writes, um, try relief factor. I've had a torn roca- a rotator cuff, then years of bursitis in the shoulder and surrounding tendons. Um, first week of relief factor, the pain is gone. My neck moves and pops like it should. Trust me, I'm a fat guy. Relief factor for the ankle and Cafe Sevilla, uh, Sevilla when you go to San Diego next time. Well, thank you, Tommy, and I'm glad Relief Factor worked for you. We should get them as a sponsor on the show. That would be great. Working on it. So there we have it. Um, Andres writes, 
Hi, and sorry, I've been busy. Only now heard you're disconnecting from Rising. That's great. You have an amazing mind that I never liked that you were part of Rising. It just didn't allow to allow you to demonstrate your passion. Respectfully, lawyer listener of Unfiltered Buck, Andres. Well, Andres, that's really what, that was what caused this conscious uncoupling, if you will. Uh, I'm, I've just, I need to do what I do and be me and say what I need to say and not have to worry about uh, the decorum of of the room and, and deal with the libs who surround me at any given time. I, I, you're, we are going into an era of, for those of you who like this show, of additional platforms and totally unfiltered buck. We're going truly buck wild. That's what's going to happen. That's why I'm making the decision I'm making. Uh, I'm going to go all in, in time for the re- re-election of Donald Trump, in time for this bruising political cycle. I am not going to have any, oh, but can you be, I'm not at, not going to CNN, never going back there. Uh, you know, not going to the, I'm not going to be working at the Hill anymore. It's just going to be Buck, radio, writing, Fox, additional projects. That's where we're heading. There's going to be no more, no more of this uh, forced politeness when it comes to my content. Not That never happens on radio, obviously, but it, it was the case. It was, that was the deal. I mean, that was the agreement going into the Hill was that we were going to be cordial to the other side. And I did it for a year. I think I did it very well under the circumstances Buck's not being polite anymore. It's time to start, stop being polite and start being real. Remember that, the real news? That's basically what I'm going to be doing. All right, we got uh, some more roll call in a sec. Stay right there. All right, we got our double roll call because it's Friday. Man, it's beautiful here in D.C. I'm so excited, too. My little bro, Keats. He is, it's a cool name, right? Named for the, uh, the romance uh, poet, uh, Mr. Mr. Keats. Uh, but uh, he's... He's here hanging out, so I've got my little bro in town. We're going to be rocking out, doing bro things. I'm excited about that. We've got beautiful weather. Hope you have lovely weather wherever you are, and uh, you are listening to this podcast. You're making good choices in life in general. Zach writes, my diet and exercise regime includes no snacking after dinner and 15 to 20 minutes of yoga three times a week. I'm 37, and I also don't want to get hurt. Of course, I think I did pull something when I first started yoga. Shields high. Well, Zach, thank you for sharing. Appreciate it, buddy. I I am not somebody who's ever been able to take to yoga. I just I don't I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. It's not. It's just not for me. I've tried. I've tried, but it's not for me. Chad writes, Buck. It was a joy watching you destroy and embarrass Harry Littman on Fox. He is delusional. Well, Chad, uh, I appreciate your support, and I would just say that uh, yeah, Harry. You know, if you want to disagree, if he wants to disagree with me on air, that's fine. But to say things like, I don't think Buck read it. Or it's like, dude, you're just now you're just clowning yourself. And, and that's such a that, that's that's such a, a non argument thing to say. That's such a non debate. Oh, you know, well, I don't even think you I don't even think you've read the resolution. It's like, shut up, dude. You're getting your butt kicked. You know, just just get your butt kicked, but do it with dignity. You know, don't don't start trying to throw some low blows or something. It's just it's just embarrassing himself. It's embarrassing himself. And then to say that that uh, Mueller is being too kind to Trump. This is just, these are like the rantings of a crazy person. And it's shocking. This guy was employed by the DOJ at some point, but as I've said to you many times, the government is full of not even mediocrity. It's really full of subpar, subpar workers in minds. Now I'm not saying full as in everyone. I'm just saying there's plenty. There's no shortage of dumbasses that work for the government. I'll just say it. It's true. Uh, Eric writes, Mr. Buck, glad you're back from chi- China. Say it in Trump style. Safe and sound. 
I live in Georgia, not that it matters, but listening to Disney say what they've said makes my head hurt. Wouldn't supporting abortion be killing your customers? It's Disney. Kids are supposed to be their prime marketing target. Am I wrong here? Shields way high, sir. No, Eric, you would think that a great American brand like Disney would know enough to stay out of this kind of a political scrum. But no, they're they're taking the corporate America is because they know that you get punished if you aren't on the left. They just they accept that reality. And there are a lot of leftists that run these big corporations. And we we have this double standard. Leftists make a lot of noise. They boycott and they get their way in corporate America and conservatives. We just take it. We just take it on the chin all the time. So that's what's going on. It's, it's annoying. Uh, here we go. Roger writes, Buck, if you have enemy of choice t-shirts made, I would like one as well, please. Well, Roger, um, you know, yeah, if we could make like a cool logo for it so people know what we're talking about with enemy of choice, because just saying enemy of choice might be a little too vague, but I, I hear you, man. Thank you so much. Uh, Kayla writes, great show, and I'm glad you're done with the hill. I usually agree with you, but oh my God. I've been listening to you long enough to get your whole get off my lawn opinions, but I have to disagree with your comments about the Uber rider feedback. The Uber thing is fine, but your excitement of the application sounds like China's good citizen ratings. No, no, Kayla, I disagree. It's this is this is the free market working. This is the this is Yelp for for both sides of the equation. I don't see why that's a problem because I because you know, it just makes it, it just incentivizes people to. Uh, be better in their business dealings. You know, I mean, I, look, I mean, social media, Facebook, people can trash you on Facebook too, right? So, but you look, a lot of people that have written in agree with you. So maybe I'm missing something here. Uh, we'll see about that. But Kayla, thanks so much for writing in. Um, and I have to say that the show is now coming to a close. Have a great weekend, everybody. I will talk to you Monday. Shields high. <laughs>